broadcasting worldwide on internet radio. Refreshing takes on legal strategies. Straightforward answers to difficult tax questions. Independent ideas on building wealth. It's the Refresher Wealth Show with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen. Get your free copy of Mark and Matt's ebooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. Now, here's Mark and Matt. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode, or I should say this week's episode. This is a weekly show. <laughs> You're uh, here with Mark Kohler and Matt Sorensen, my amazing co-host, both of us attorneys, tax attorneys specializing in different areas. Uh, me, generally, small business tax strategies, building wealth, and Matt Sorensen, uh, retirement plan, self-directing strategies, building wealth. We're all about just making mm-hmm. you money. And Yeah, man breaking down those complex, boring tax and legal topics in a fun and interesting format. Boom. Yeah. I didn't even read that. That just came to me. Yeah. That that should, was, we should like trademark that or something. Yeah. <laughs> Put that in a can. Sell it. Yeah. yeah. You can write whatever you yeah. want on the can, but or the box, <laughs> as Chris Farley would say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but okay, if you're new to this show, we need to warn you. You are going to learn something about tax and legal topics. That's We promise that. Yes. We also try to entertain you and be funny. There's no promises on that. So <laughs> yeah, there's no guarantee in a box on that one. <laughs> there's no warranty on that. One. You're not no warranty. No warranty on the box on that. Yeah. No. yeah and someone will sneak through the window of your daughter's bedroom and steal it. But that's you know, <laughs> you got to watch the movie Tommy Boy, and you'll be rolling in your seats with laughter. We do have our must-watch movies, legal movies, and just dumb eighty, nineties, two thousand movies that just make the world a better place, place to live in. Okay. Now today, actually, I'm really excited. We've got an awesome mm-hmm. topic and I'm actually even more excited for our weekly tax and legal tip. I've got a tax tip I have never shared ever in my mm-hmm. career. And it's just come about with this new tax legislation and how it evolves and some of the experts around the country looking for loopholes and things. I'm so I'm really excited to share that. Matt's got a wonderful twist and a cool story, which I have not yeah. fully heard yet. So I'm on pins and needles on a yeah. cool legal tip. Yeah. But of course, can I the just topic- say, yeah, yeah can I just say, Mark and I were going to record this show a couple days ago. We set aside an hour to do it and we talked about the tips and the stuff we're going to go in. We were researching stuff. So um, there's been a lot put into today's show. Yeah. Um, and because we want to make sure that we get this, um, these, these tips off properly because they're big. And then also, this trust topic, we want to be straightforward on it because there's a lot of confusion and misinformation about it. And we're going to be direct and we're going to cut through the BS, frankly. Yeah. So um, and tell you what's really important. And Matt's right. We put a lot of time. Normally we put no time whatsoever into the show. Uh, <laughs> absolutely none. <laughs> we, time we we just, someone hands us a microphone and says, go. And I we're like, everybody listening is like, yeah, no kidding. I can tell. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe I'm listening to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I just want that hour back of my life. No, yeah. no, no, that's not the case. You're going to love this. Um, but of course, the topic today is asset protection trust. And there is so much garbage out on this in, in yeah. oversold mechanisms and structures. There's a, and it, the sad part is wherever there's a sliver of truth, someone twists and takes it and runs with it and, and tries to turn yeah. it into the next best thing to slice bread. And by the time they're done with it, it's not even worth eating. It's just yeah, it's garbage. So That's right. 
That's right. But we're going to cut through it. So we're going to, we're going to love it. We're going to go from the basics of what a trust is very quickly into what trusts do not provide asset protection and which, yeah. which trusts will, but the baggage that comes with them and the pros mm -hmm. and cons, the things the promoters don't talk about. So exactly. Yeah. We'll talk about those like the Delaware statutory trust or business trust. We'll talk about the land, land trust, trust yeah. spendthrift trust, DAP. Even at the end of the show, we're going to do a trust fall. I'm going to stand behind Matt <laughs> and let him just cross his arms, close his eyes yeah, and just yeah. fall back. And we're going to see yeah. how much trust he really has. Yeah. Me as his I wouldn't spend. Yeah. I have, I have a lot of trust in Mark Kohler, you know, enough to do the trust me. fall. He would catch me if I fall. Oh man, what song is that? You catch me if you fall. Yeah, we're gonna. There's have to, gotta be a yeah. That's an '80s song. An R&B song or like a, maybe a one hit wonder, new wave era. I don't know. We're gonna find out before the end of the show. Get maybe our people. Hey, people, song. people, get on that. Don't we have people yeah, somewhere? Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's just get our people. We have people catch somewhere. Me if I fall, yeah. <laughs> catch me if you can. Great movie. Yes. Robert DiCaprio. Yes. Great DiCaprio. I, and I am a big fan of DiCaprio. I think he is Radio so fan. versatile. I know a lot yeah. of people thought he was corny and Titanic. So be it. I love this. Titanic was still cool, but um, man, from reverend to, mm. yeah. Uh, yeah. Gosh, I don't know where to start. I love blood diamond. Um, yeah. Just he, the guys all over the place. Good stuff. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, it's been a lot of good all right. Ones. Well, all right. you want to do the tax tip or legal tip first? I mean, I know yours is a doozy. Mine's Mine a, doozy. a doozy. We tried to define doozy before. By but... that, I mean long. I think yours is going to be long. <laughs> no, it's good. It's going to be sweet. I'm, I mean, good. It okay. can still be good. Yeah. yeah. I think the only true way to define doozy is to call our, both of our moms. You know, it's kind of a term yeah, of the 50s. Little, you know, outside of like doozy. You know, my mom used to say, I'm so mad I could spit. I'm like, wow. It's no, really mad. Bad. All right. Okay. I'm going to start with the tax tip. All right. A tax tip you can actually understand and won't put you to sleep. A tax tip that could save you thousands. All right. Now, this tax tip is pretty darn cool. Now, let me set the foundation or groundwork for this. First, the auto deduction should be a huge part of every small business owner's tax return. Even if you just have a side hustle, I wanna either maximize the mileage deduction or the actual. If you've got trucks, SUVs, RVs, uh, huge write-offs. There's this, if you've been in business at any time whatsoever, you know that there's this thing called the 179 deduction, the bonus deduction, the, you know, mm -hmm. I can depreciate my car, I can take actual. There, there's a lot of garbly group there. We have done entire podcasts on the auto deduction. I've got a blog article in January, just this month, with a great YouTube video that breaks it down with a, a chart on when you should consider actual versus mileage. It's some, something new I've never come up with before either. It came to me, the flex capacitor just mm -hmm. fell on me when I was in the bathroom. And I was like, I got to share this on YouTube. Yeah. So By the, way, the flex capacitor, just to recap on a prior podcast, I think it's 28.1 28 gigawatts. Gigawatts. That's yes, right. That's, exactly. I did have a listener email me that, by the way. Oh, we see, got, yeah. You know, so our appreciate they that. got her back. You know, make sure you correct these things that we get wrong. Because yes. I was 98.1 gigawatts, and I think that's 98.1 FM. I was confused. <laughs> yeah. Smooth <so>. jazz. <laughs> 98.1. And I, I can joke about that because Matt hates smooth jazz. Oh, so, yeah. I love jazz jazz. Smooth yeah. jazz? 
I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Now, you all right. So we got the auto deduction. All of you should be maximizing it. Everyone on the show, you should know the basics so that your accountant doesn't school you on it and you get the wrong strategy. Don't assume that your accountant's always going to get it right. It's just like if you're remodeling your kitchen, you get to have five different contractors do it five different ways. You got to be involved, right? Same thing with your tax return. You got to be able to make some calls. Well, under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, passed at the end of 2017, effective January 1st, 2018, we've now had two full years to play around with this thing. And what we've discovered is that the auto deduction's the best it's ever been. Now, in, in almost 40 years, uh, it's huge. So you're able to write off more with an SUV truck than you have been able to in the last 10 years. And the auto deduction, the top's off. I mean, the can is open. It is awesome. Mm-hmm. But it typically, it would require you to go out and buy a new car in years past. And even under this new tax act, you can go out and buy a used car or truck or SUV and get massive write-offs. So the, this was the GOP and Trump's idea is let's encourage people to go improve their transportation, go get a new car or truck, and they get some big write-offs in it. Arguably, mm-hmm. I think, has definitely stimulate the economy in some way. So people are buying more used cars and trucks, yada, yada. Nothing new. Here's the new strategy. What has evolved is the strategy that you can actually convert a personal vehicle to business and take the tax write-off write-off as if you went out and bought it. So example, Matt Sorensen, he's got yeah. a small business. He's got his car that he drives around, pretty cool car, and he picks up a truck to go biking on the weekends. Matt is a bicyclist. He is, are you a biker or cyclist? Cyclist, yeah. Bicycle, bicycle. So you're a cyclist. Matt is a cyclist. I want to ride my cycle. Yeah, he is so serious, folks. He shaves his legs. I mean, that's how fast he is on a cycle. Okay, so Matt mountain bikes and street bikes. And so- it's not street bikes. What's it it's called? Road bikes. Road bikes. See, road I'm, bike, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not a part of the community. Yeah. You're you, know? what, you got the motorcycle slang down. I got, yeah. Got, those are the motorcycle words, yeah. I think. That's yeah, why we got to be a little That's because right the number one buyer of Harley Davidson's are accountants. I just believe that. Is that crazy? They're compensating for something. It's part of me. It's part of my nature. Okay. <laughs> now, even though I don't own a Harley someday. So Matt buys a truck to mm-hmm. ride around and do his cycling. It's mm-hmm. got a thing in the back for his bikes and yada, yada. Well, Matt's already riding off his vehicle in the business, maybe actual or mileage. We don't know, but he's got this truck sitting over here. And let's say he bought it last year. Mm-hmm. Let's say some of you had a truck or an SUV or a car that you bought one or two years ago, three years ago. I don't mm-hmm. care. And now you need it in your business, or now you've started a business. Mm-hmm. You can contribute that car, truck, or SUV to the business and take a tax write-off in bonus depreciation up to $18,000 on an auto, unlimited on a truck or SUV weighing more than 6,000 pounds. And you didn't even go buy a new one. You didn't spend a dime. You contributed the car to the business. Uh, You do not have to incorporate to do this, although I would like that. I think it would be much less of an audit risk uh, to mm-hmm. always incorporate and save on the self-employment tax and all that good stuff. Several birds with one stone there. But you can, the tip is, if you've got a car or truck that you have not previously written off in your business, 
easy schmeasy. You can contribute it, put it on the books of the business at fair market value, mind you. Okay. So you're going to the question. NADA or the blue book value, contribute cool. it to the business and start depreciating it or start doing mileage, either one. Big deal. Now, there is talk, and I will verify this. Uh, if you are a client of mine, we would at least give you a little CYA letter that possibly it could be uh, argued that if you'd previously done it mileage, some sort of little mileage reimbursement for your business mm -hmm. vehicle, and now you want to put it on the books as an asset and depreciate it, you would have to reduce the fair market value by the prior depreciation portion of that mileage, but you could still put mm -hmm. on the books of an asset. Now that's a little complicated. Some of the accounts out there, you're geeking yeah. out on that. But the Seems point fair, is though. you could actually convert it from a mileage vehicle to an actual write-off vehicle by putting it on the books as an asset. That's when I would want to see an 1120S incorporation tax return. But this is a big deal. So if any of you are out there yeah. going, oh my gosh, I don't have to go buy a new car or truck. I could actually contribute one. Done. Love it. Now, do you have to use it at least 50% or more? Or is it so the same percent? That's right. You have to use it at least 50% or more okay. verified in the business. So if you have a lot of commuting miles or personal miles that takes that uh, below 50% business use, you can still do mileage, but you can't. Yeah cash in on the bonus and okay um, awesome. now i've got articles with numbers in this and videos uh it's in the book tax and legal playbook and you should be bringing this up with your accountant now, do you want to hear a cool one matt i'm going to yeah. take it to the next level okay okay <laughs> yeah there's more there's more there's more okay let's let's say you're preparing your tax return for 2019 right now mm -hmm. everybody mm -hmm. listening you're doing that and your tax bill is a little too high you didn't put as many miles on your vehicle last year as you thought, but your business use is still over 50%. You just didn't drive the vehicle as much. But when you did, it was for business. Mm -hmm. Why don't we go back and sign an asset contribution document as of 1231-19 and put it on the books of the business in 19? And now I can go back and grab bonus and depreciation on it in mm -hmm. 2019 and add that to your tax return as a possible strategy last minute right now, mm -hmm. which has never been heard of before. Yeah. Because you can't go back in time and go to a dealership and buy something on December 31st, right. maybe with yeah. the flex capacitor, but we don't have that handy, do we? We don't have a DeLorean <laughs> tricked out ready there. to go. So yeah. Good, yeah, that was the payoff, right? That, that was a payoff, I brought payoff. it back around, baby. <laughs> nice. That's what the real comedians do. I, I was, you know. Yeah. yeah, you set that up earlier for the payoff right now. Yeah. Okay, John. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I was at second city in Chicago studying with the greats and they said, that you set it up, yeah. then you pay it off. Yeah. So, but the point is we can't go back in time and buy a car December 31st, but I could go back in time and contribute my car to the business December 31st. Maybe it could work on your return. Maybe not something to bring up with your accountant. Boom. That is cool. oh, then, let me finish the tip. Boom. Bada bang. Okay. There you go. It's not properly finished until you put that on it. <laughs> nice. So fat lady sings, baby. Yeah, I like that. No, that is new. I've never heard that, and that's cool. So, um, there's obviously a lot of people can take advantage of that. That's a. Um, when you were throwing me into the example, I was, you know, my I was starting to think, my my uh, bicycle wheels were spinning. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to give credit to also to my amazing tax partners who are all smarter than me, but hate to be on the radio or on stage or write, but they are yeah. so smart. I talked to Liddell. I talked to Brian, Rick Taylor, ex IRS agent. 
my partners are all ex big four and they're smart guys. And we broke this down. We were reading the Bradford tax Institute uh, writings on this Tom Bradford's behind it, which I think he's a stud. And so good stuff. Cool. Okay. I like it. All right. Well, you said the high bar. All right. Okay. Let's do the legal tip. A legal tip that you can actually use. A legal tip where you don't feel like you have to take a shower after. All right. Well, this week's legal tips comes courtesy of a mistake that a client made and uh-uh. came to me. Yeah. <laughs> can you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, of course, you know, before they were a client, let me say that. Um, so Mark and I talk a lot about having a board of directors, if you have a corporation, maybe your S-Corp, or a board of advisors in your LLC. And those people are there to obviously help you in your business. Maybe your spouse or certain family members are on your board of directors or advisors, definitely your adult children, because um, you need some tax write-off opportunity. But you want others involved, and this can be family or not, that are just advisory, that help you in your business, that are a sounding board for things, that maybe a mentor or someone like that, right? Yep, great tax write-off every time you yeah. meet with them. To- totally. But keep in mind, you need your documents to reflect what authority you want to give them. Now, I had a client who has an S corporation that just pulled some documents online um, and just you know did their company themselves because they didn't want to pay for a lawyer to do it. And I think they kind of had fun with it, but they messed it up. Because the documents they pulled offline were meant for a large corporation owned by thousands of different shareholders that the board of directors are empowered to pretty much do everything. So the shareholders elect the board of directors and the board of directors cannot be removed under this way this company was set up. This is just someone with a small business that put some friends and family on the board of directors. Now, and when you said can't be removed until there was showing election of the board of directors and you know, there's, there's a terms that they had and everything. It was very formal looked very fancy and everything. And that's great if you're going to go raise money on the public stock exchange and have thousands of different people who are shareholders and you need a really powerful board to, to, to determine things. And that's normal. I want to just add in yeah. a big corporate. Now I'm going to say two things, Matt, if I may, because yeah. uh, many small businesses in America don't take care, don't use this strategy to its fullest. Having a board of good friends, family, whoever that you hang out with to give you advice on your business and hold you accountable is a huge asset. And people just don't use it. And it's a great tax write-off. Have your board meeting during the Super Bowl next week. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really what we're talking about. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You could literally have your board meeting during halftime and write off the food for your Super Bowl party as you have yeah. your board meeting. That's totally legit. Okay. Mm-hmm. And number two point, in big corporations, they don't want to remove the board. of make. They don't want to make it easy to get rid of board of directors because all these shareholders are relying on the board of directors to run the business. And so yeah. you can only remove them if they're fraudulent or they do something really stupid or, but they get to serve their term. Mm-hmm. So, and they appoint the CEO, they appoint all the officers. So case in point, if you remember the Steve jobs, you saw any movies or read the book about Steve jobs, it won't, you know, even though he was a significant shareholder, Apple had a board, they became publicly traded. Steve jobs got fired from being the CEO of Apple because that's how the board documents were designed. They said that the board can appoint and remove any officers. Well, then Steve Jobs finally came back, you know, and of course Apple became the, even a more significant success than it was. And, and that was because of the founder. Well, in your small business, a lot of our cl- clients, you do not want to empower a board to be able to remove you as the officer 
right? You're the president of the of your own company. And so, so you don't want to give that power the documents to them. And you want to be as the shareholder, you want to be able to remove the board whenever you want for, for no cause. You don't have to have a good reason to remove them as a board member. You just want to be able to remove them whenever the heck you want. So just double check your documents. Be wary of just pulling stuff off online that looks cool and fancy that could cause havoc down the road um, because you're trying to cut corners and use just, you know, kind of the big corporate documents that look nice and fancy, but don't really fit in a small business structure. Um, so there's a little, little note. I've been thinking about it from the impeachment you know, hearings that have been going on too. I just was thinking of, you know, people being impeached from their own company and didn't even realize what they did, but they, you know, they had a crappy constitution and they gave Congress power to remove them. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, it's, it's all relevant. And I think people ask me that too, when I'm around the country, they're like, well, Mark, you say have a board of advisors. Now did I just give my sister, brother, and best friend and my mom or dad control of my company? No. Because in a small corporation or LLC that we design, it's going to say you can fire them anytime you want without just cause, even if they change the color of their hair, you just, whatever, you can just mm -hmm. fire them. So you the control the company. The yep. Another way of saying is that they serve at your leisure. They serve yeah. at your discretion. And, and that's good for them. There's no liability for them, but you're getting their advice and support. So yeah. big corporation documents, leave them alone. Get it done right for your small business. Oh, which brings up, it is our company maintenance special during the mm -hmm. year of January and February, where if you haven't done your minutes, you haven't appointed, uh, appointed a board of advisors or directors. The, our paralegals will ask you 25 questions to prepare your minutes for this year, to get your LLC or corporation in good shape and good order. And then at that same time, you appoint your board. It's done. We mm -hmm. charge a hundred bucks for new customers, new clients that bring us their company. That's a mess. For your first year. Mm -hmm. And it's your first year of doing your minutes. You can appoint your board, get them all done, make them look pretty hundred bucks. Now, if your books are a complete disaster, the paralegals will give you a quote to clean it up, but it's still mm -hmm. cheaper than yeah. um, trying to redo it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a good reminder. KKOSlawyers.com. You can learn more, of course. Um, <clears throat> let's okay. say I'm a little slower. KKOS. <laughs> That's K Kilo, Kilo, Oscar, Sam. Yep. Kilo, Kilo, Oscar, Sam. Yeah. Lawyers, L-A-W-Y-E-R-S.com. And yeah. we've got all sorts of cool specials there and we keep the cost low for the Main Street Americans. Okay. Now we're ready for our topic. Let's do it. This is a and, big one. Okay. Let's, let's tag team each other. Okay. You want to do the low hanging fruit, right? We're going to walk through the basics on the revocable living trust. Yes. The first so, thing, and I you want me yeah, go ahead. Am I tagged in? This is like, I remember WWF, you know, I'm in the ring now. Oh, dude. And I love that movie, Fighting With Your Family. Have you seen that yet? <laughs> yeah, that's great with The Rock. I thought it was so good. So good. Was, so inspiring. It was. It was funny, too. It was great. Um, yeah, feel good movie of the year. And funny. Yeah, when you see the title, and, and seriously, I'm going to give you a little movie tip this weekend. Uh, I don't know if it's on Prime or Netflix or Voodoo or Hulu or Julu or Gulu or whatever's out there, but um, Fighting With Your Family. Now, I do enough of that on a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> so when I saw the title of the show, I'm like, I do not need another punch in the gut. But uh, it's about a family that does uh, WWF wrestling type yeah. thing in WWE London, England. Now, yeah. yeah WWE, yeah. WWE, whatever. You know, just kind of yeah. that acting wrestling show stuff that is crazy. And it was, it was a legit true story, and it's a really feel-good movie, and it's funny. And so... 
get that, yeah. get out there. Okay, yeah. Matt, break down what a basic trust is. <clears throat> and okay. Yeah. So this will help give you context. The trust that we set up on our office, 99% of them are revocable living trusts done for estate planning. They're great. They're done, they're done, to, they're done to avoid probate. We're doing it to more efficiently administer your assets when you die. It's not about asset protection. It's about estate planning. And privacy. We, could, we want to create a privacy. name. Yep. Yep. And, and on that note, this is going to come up throughout the show today. A lot of people equate privacy with protection. Mm-hmm. For example, if you're fairly savvy out there, you're going to run into this if you haven't already. Someone says, oh, use a land trust. It's cheaper than an LLC in California or here or there. And you can do a land trust and protect your assets. <laughs> uh, no. I can put my property in a land trust with a very unique name and some other Which trustee. Mm-hmm. And you're right. They may not find me initially. And I can play games in court. And be careful doing that because if a judge knows you're playing games, you're going to be the bad guy real quick in your asset yeah. protection. They're going to find a way to punish you. They will find you. a way to punish you. Yeah. And these gurus are like, oh, you can play this game in court. Yeah, go try that. It'll see how it goes mm-hmm. for you. But the point is people try to equate that privacy strategy of putting your assets in a trust as protection. And someone with enough money and pissed off enough, they're going to find out that you really do yeah. own this because it's going to be on your tax return, interrogatories and discovery. We'll just, we'll find mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And then your protection is gone. Yeah. And a lot of times the trustee has to be on title anyways, and you're probably going to be the trustee. Yeah. You know, there's sometimes there's ways to get around that. Not every state, but there's, so there's a lot of limitations to it. Um, and all the land trust is, since we already jumped to that, it's just a revocable living trust. Mm-hmm. And the courts are not going to respect that. They're going to blow right through it. Yep. So don't think it's this shield and protection like an LLC is where, where a creditor does actually get stuck yeah. and can't now, this, go through the LLC. Exactly. Now, this is an important point at the beginning of the show to say, too. Can you have asset protection with trust? Absolutely. Are trusts a good idea? It depends on what you're using it for. But yes, mm-hmm. land trusts are great for certain things. Transactions, privacy. See, privacy... The best analogy I use is privacy is like camouflage. Now, if you move slow enough and you're not a big threat, you might get a, get away for a while. But right. someone with a, you know, someone with a high-powered enough scope and again diligent, that camouflage is only going to protect you Patience. so long. Now, asset protection would be more like a Kevlar vest. And again, if the bullets start flying, it'll protect you pretty well, but not entirely. There's no 100% privacy, 100% protection, Mm -hmm. but we can definitely put up barriers for nine out of 10 litigants out there. So Mm -hmm. again, revocable living trusts are great for asset protection. Land trust can be great for transactions and privacy as well as a revocable living trust. Matt, do you have to record a revocable living trust? You do not. It's created upon signature of the document. You know, most states, you, all of them, you have a notary involved, so it'll be notarized. Um, but it is not recorded. It's not filed anywhere. It's you private. may have to produce it at a title company or places or a bank or something that is opening an account or transacting with it, but it's not recorded or filed anywhere or approved by any state or government agency. Yeah, and they're great. And we usually do a revocable living trust as part of an estate planning package. Mm-hmm. You get a will, you get this, you get that. Okay, now a couple other trust basics because you want to know these terms. In a trust, there's a grantor. That's the person that creates the trust and puts crap in it, <laughs> stuff. Yeah, right. The trustee is the one that can sign and transact and move things around for the trust. They may not be the grantor. 
They could be assigned to be someone. I'm the trustee of some people's trust. Our firm is the trustee of many trusts. Then you have the beneficiary, which could be you or someone else. So a revocable living trust, you're usually the grantor, the trustee, and the beneficiary while you're alive. Then when you die, mm -hmm. someone else becomes the beneficiary and you appoint someone to be the trustee and carry out the wishes of your trust. That's how it works. With the land trust, you might hold some property, do a transaction. You're the trustee, maybe, maybe not, but you're the beneficiary of that trust or your LLC. Most land trusts are really the holder of the property for the beneficiary benefit of the LLC. It's because the LLC is what gives you protection. Yeah. The land trust is what gives you privacy. So you're kind of using a one-two punch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And many LLCs, and so you can get some privacy depending on states there too, where you, you can kind of keep your name off the state records in some states like Wyoming and there's some other states. So there's other strategies there even to do some privacy on the LLC. But yes, and so we help clients from time to time with land trusts, not as asset protection, but as Mark says, as privacy. We're doing lots of revocable living trusts for estate planning. And, I, and the reason I think it's helpful to understand why, why we use it and explain how we do it is a lot of people will ask us on some of these other trusts, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? And it's like, we don't do it. The reason we don't do it is because we don't believe in it. We would love to sell them. We could sell a lot of these trusts, these asset protection trusts that a lot of these gurus go out and sell. We could sell thousands of them. I got, we got people calling all day asking for them. We don't believe in it. I think it's a, we, don't, we don't think it's worth it or it's even ethical on our part as lawyers. And, so, and that's another point. You do not see a lot of lawyers doing these types of trusts that we're going to go through next. That There's some that are, that are used. We're going to distinguish these. But some of these we're going to start beating up. I just want to, you know, yeah, forewarn you. Yeah, Give you some context. Great initial commentary because we want you to know where we're coming from on this. Now, okay, as we move through the types of trusts out there, wouldn't it be smart to, if you're going to use a trust for asset protection, use them in a state or a way where they're statutorily authorized? So let's just yes. go to that step next. If you say, Mark and Matt, you don't, you, you don't believe in trust for asset protection. No, we do. They can work. But they're, when we say they are garbage, that's because the cost and the benefit can far, far outweigh. I mean, the cost can far, far outweigh mm -hmm. the benefit. Okay. So if we're going to go down that path, the first step is, why don't we use a trust that's allowed, that's authorized, that's got a clear right, path law. for people to use? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's in the law. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that type of trust is called ADAPT, a Domestic Asset Protection Trust. They are phenomenal if you use them properly. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt, do you want to kind of yeah. basically explain that? And then I'll list the states that allow for it. Yeah. Here's a, a couple of reasons why the Domestic Asset Protection Trust is used. You can put assets into it. And if you are sued, a creditor is not able to get into the assets in the Domestic Asset Protection Trust. We had one client that had one of these um, in Nevada. And uh, they had a Nevada Domestic Asset Protection Trust. We have some of our lawyers licensed in Nevada. you know, And what happened was a creditor was coming after him as a bank creditor, actually. No, yeah, it was a creditor that had a judgment against this person. And they came to the bank and they are like, hey, we want to garnish this person's bank account. There's $100,000 in there. Like, stop. This isn't his bank account. This is his domestic asset protection trust bank account. And they were not able to go get into the 
the bank account and, and, and take out all the money, which if it was in his personal name, that money would have vaporized in a second. The bank would have sent it to satisfy the judgment. So that's an easy example of how the DAP protected someone's assets from their personal liabilities. Now, this was a Nevada resident, Nevada DAP, uh, with the bank was just a Wells Fargo bank account in Nevada. Okay. Now, here's what's interesting. When we say gurus, we use that term loosely because a guru doesn't always mean they're right or that they're ethical or the best person to rely on. So I'm going to switch now in this conversation, Matt, to the word promoter. May I? I we use that better. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So let's use promoter. Mm -hmm. Now, what you're going to find people, we're still on the DAPT, but what you're going to find is the promoters normally don't talk about the DAPT because they're selling it to people, this asset protection trust elaborate thing we're going to talk about in a minute. They're doing it for people in states where the DAPT doesn't exist because if they were selling asset protection in one of these 17 states, mm -hmm. they'd use ADAPT and they can't charge as much. There's mm -hmm. not as much smoke and mirrors. Yeah. So we set up DAPs. We love DAPs. Yeah. Uh, but let's keep, let's beat Those it up a little business bit. and tax the state lawyers do our do. We'll do ADAPT. Yeah. You know? And we're not going to charge five or 10 or 15 grand to do it, which these big promoters often, mm -hmm. and sometimes oftentimes law firms, and I could start naming them here on the show, but I won't because I don't want to get a, get sued. But I think they charge atrocious fees that are far mm -hmm. too high uh, for something that is arguably a pain in the butt to maintain. Okay, now stick with the DAPT for a minute. Here's the 17 states where they could work. Oh, and I'm going to even add a caveat here before I read the 17 states. If you live in one of these 17 states as a resident mm -hmm. or the property that you're trying to protect, albeit a bank account or real estate, typically real mm -hmm. estate, is in one of these 17 states, we can talk. We got something to go on. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to forewarn you Californians, you're not on the list. And if your assets are in California and you're a resident of California, forget the DAPT. We can try. It'll put up a smokescreen and a lawyer will have to, Someone will have to pay to get through it, but they'll get through it. We yep. still do it for clients that know that, and they're like, throw it up anyway. But here's the 17 states. Alaska, Delaware, Hawaii, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, Nevada, New Hampshire, Ohio, Oklahoma, Rhode Island, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. And more states now, keep coming up. So yeah. I, I will say that. And this is a... I think Texas is on that list recently. Go ahead, Matt. You talk. Yeah. Arizona's, Arizona has had it in kind of draft form last couple of years. So hopefully we'll see it in Arizona. I mean, they're in legislative session right now, actually, I think. But <clears throat> um, so you'll, this is going to be more popular. If it's not in your state... You know, and there's some states that is not going to be on their radar. Sorry, California and certain states that just are terrible on these issues. But um, but other states are starting to consider it. It is popular and just a way for people to protect their assets, put them in the domestic asset protection trust, which works kind of like an estate planning trust. It can to distribute some of these assets. A lot of times we're going to do it in connection with your estate, your regular revocable living trust for estate planning. 
doesn't cause any tax ramifications. You're not filing a trust tax return or anything like that. It's all, all the, the income and tax liability still just flows down um, to you personally. So, um, so that's a nice thing too, because some trust structures, particularly you start hearing about, you know, like international trust or trust in the Caribbean or the Cook Islands and stuff like that. And you, and you want to go, you know, do the foreign trust thing for asset protection. You better buckle up for a big tax bill for compliance, disclosures to the IRS on what you're doing, foreign bank account reporting, uh, trust tax returns, separate trustees, like, you know, people that you probably have never met in these foreign countries. It, those, those are not for the faint at heart. And we generally not recommend those. So, but the, the DAPT on the other hand is it's a U.S. recognized trust. It's in the U.S. laws in these states that Mark rattled off. You can be involved as trustee. Sometimes there's another party involved as trustee as well, depending on your state. And, um, and, uh, and it doesn't cause tax nightmares for you. Everything still flows down on your personal return. No trust return or trust tax rates. Okay. Now, out on this, as you start to research, there are cases more and more popping up about um, the efficacy big word, but Ooh, you know, like how that. valid do these trusts work? You're going to see cases where people that don't live in a DAP state win in court. You're also going to see cases where they don't. And that's why I said, I have some clients that call me up and say, Mark, if there's a chance, it's going to make it harder for someone. If it gives me a little bit of protection in California, let's do it. We charge around yeah. 1500 bucks for DAP. They're not the end of the world. Uh, annual fees to be your trustee might be 300 bucks a year. It's not the end of the world very affordable generally for asset protection in the millions and it may help. And I can Google this right now and find cases where it works and cases where they don't, but we know it certainly works that if I live in Utah and have property in Utah and I do a Utah adapt, I'm in business, total yep. protection. So absolutely just go in with your eyes wide open. Yeah. All right. So that didn't now catch we, it. we okay. like the adapt. <laughs> yeah, we like the DAP. Okay. Now we get into the more elaborate type of common law trust, for lack of a better word. Yes. Common law means that no one, no legislature passed a law saying that this type of trust works and here's how you do it. Yeah. Like the DAP. What lawyers do in these promoters is they'll say, we've got this book of cases, for example, that say, hey, here's how a spendthrift trust or a a business trust or this type of trust could work and mm -hmm. we're just going to create them and let the courts legislate them for example mm -hmm. and we're going to let ca case law give us the parameters of how these trusts might work yeah now by doing that these promoters feel they can charge a lot more they can be a lot more salesy and make a lot more bigger promises with yeah. these types of trusts Matt, why don't you explain the Delaware Business Trust and yeah. how that kind are. of came into play? Yeah. Now, some of these are statutory, but there have been very few states. So, you, you know, so the Delaware Statutory Trust, sometimes called Delaware Business Trust, is in the Delaware law. So this is in the code in Delaware. There's also Massachusetts has a business trust, I believe Illinois. Um, there's like four states that have these types of what are some what are generally called business trusts, but the Delaware Statutory Trust or DST 
um, is uh, not to be conferred with deferred sales trust, by the way, but Delaware Statutory Trust has been promoted significantly to Californians to use in lieu of an LLC for asset protection. Now, here's why they like it. And I'm going to tell you why we don't like it, but I'll tell you what they say. No franchise tax. Californians, you don't want an LLC. You got to pay 100 bucks to the California Franchise Board every year. So set up a Delaware statutory trust under Delaware law and trusts in California don't have to pay the Delaware, or sorry, the California Franchise Board tax. Okay, fair enough. That's true. That's true. And under Delaware law, the, there is asset protection in a Delaware statutory trust where if there's a creditor that sues the trust, they can't get after the owner or beneficiary of the trust. So you're protected kind of like an LLC. Okay, also true. Now, then the facts come to play <laughs> and lawyers start lawyering and yeah. courts start jockeying because you don't think San Bernardino court judge is going to be too thrilled to honor a Delaware trust when there's a California citizen that got ran over or mm -hmm. a property that blew up or there's mold and some bozo standing there going, well, I've got this Delaware statutory trust. You can't touch me. Mm -hmm. And that judge in San Bernardino has got probably a strong ethical concern about that and says, I want to protect my California citizens. This is bullcrap. We and don't then recognize the lawyer in California. Begins. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So th that's your first problem. Okay. Is you're now relying on another state to recognize that. And um, there's actually not a lot of reported case history on this. Um, and that's, you won't see a lot of these people promoting it, showing you that, that, oh no, California law recognizes this. And here's a case where a California judge actually held that the Delaware statutory trust is recognized under California law. You don't hear that a lot. No. And here's another point that goes right along with that before Matt gets to the reason why he doesn't like him, which is totally separate, mm -hmm. is that the cost of paying your attorney to go fight this out is far more than the stupid $800 a year with a standard LLC doing it the yeah. right vanilla way. Now, could it work? Sure, Matt and I will agree. But you better be ready to write a big old fat check to your lawyer. Oh, but mm -hmm. California lawyers are cheap or New Jersey lawyers are affordable or Miami, you know, this is anywhere in the country. You got to go pay your lawyer to prove it now. And that's going to be a lot more freaking expensive. Yeah. It just doesn't happen out of thin air. Yeah. Okay. And um, let me give you the, the next reason. This is just a structural, practical problem that you're going to run into. Okay, great. To file a Delaware statutory trust, you actually have to file something with the state of Delaware. There's a filing fee for that. Delaware fees are not cheap. And, and I don't know exactly what it is, but it's changed, but they're not cheap. Thinking entity itself was 300 bucks. Um, but also you must have a trustee of your Delaware statutory trust who is a Delaware resident, are you, or a company that is located and headquartered in Delaware that is the trustee of your trust or a trustee. They don't have to be the trustee. They just have to be a trustee. So you can be a trustee and they're also a trustee. Um, it's kind of like in- um, And you're gonna pay for that. Yeah, and you're gonna pay someone to do that. And also you're giving someone authority that you probably don't know in Delaware and I don't know who these promoters are using, but maybe a company in Delaware, they probably set up their own or they're affiliated with somebody that, that agrees to do that. 
but you're giving them authority to serve as a trustee on your trust. Okay. So you have a statutory requirement for that because what the Delaware statutory trust law says is if you don't have a separate trustee from yourself, we're not recognizing this. We're not giving you the asset protection. So you have to have a separate trustee. You can still be a trustee with them, but again, they have to be added as a trustee as well. Okay. So there's a cost to that. There's some risk and like, who are they? And you know, they're going to charge you obviously. Is it less than 800 bucks? Maybe, but don't think you're saving 800 bucks. You're paying Delaware fees. You're paying someone to be the trustee every year. That's an annual fee too. And um, so those costs are adding up. And now am I really better off? I have limited asset protection. Is it going to help me in California? Maybe not. I don't know. So, um, so that's why we haven't really bought into this yet. Um, and don't, and don't believe it uh, is, is for those reasons. And, um, and I'll, and I'll say this again, we could set up thousands of these. We could have set up over 10,000 of these. I mean, we get so many people that get sold on these from other people that just want us to set it up because they trust us and they call us and we're like, we have to talk them out of it. We have to talk them out of giving us money to set these up. Yeah, Because so, we know they'll be mad at us later. Yeah, because I know when you get sued, you're going to be like, this didn't work. And I paid you for this. That's why we want to give you an LLC that we know is going to work. Right? Okay, and let me give you one other concern. And this starts to evolve into the next type of trust, which you're going to hear out there called spendthrift trusts. And the term defective trust. And you got to know this. Now, I know some of you are like, Mark, I want an effective trust, not a defective one. <laughs> Hang tight. Let me explain what that means. It's an important legal term. When you set up these trusts, let's back up even. Let's say you're in an accident and you're driving your car, you're texting and driving, you plow through a crosswalk. And you're like, Mark, if I get sued for being stupid, I don't want them to get at my apartment building or my beach house, or my cabin, or my lake house, or whatever it is. And that's where asset protection really comes into play. Mm -hmm. People are trying to protect this bucket of wealth in real estate or cash. And they say, oh, I'll put it in a trust. Okay, then we go, okay, then we have this trust conversation. What kind of trust? Because here's what mm -hmm. a plaintiff's going to say. The person you, you know, the lawyer for the family you ran over is going to say, hold it. Mark, if you own it, or you control it, we can get it. Now, that's the basic concept. With mm -hmm. a trust, what these promoters are saying is, oh, oh you're going to get to use it, but you don't own it or control it. And see, the, a lot of people come to us and they've been to a seminar and they're like, Mark, I'm so smart. I just want to use my assets. I don't want to own or control them. Okay, <laughs> cool. I get it. And that's what the promoters brainwashed them with. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. So we're going to set up this spendthrift trust, a settler a settler trust, a self-settled self trust. These are all mm -hmm. terms you're going to get here out there, self-settled or settler trust or grantor trust. And I'm going to do the spendthrift trust where I don't control it. I just get to use it. And if you sue me, you can't have it. Well, all right. What's the IRS think about that? If you don't own it or control it, where's it going on your tax return? Because that's... You got to report the income Stealth on it. Or, asset? <laughs> yeah. yeah, is this okay? If you don't own it, then it must be in an irrevocable trust, and that's going to come to play. Is this trust revocable or irrevocable? Now, again, think of that family that's suing you and their lawyer. If it's a revocable trust, don't you really control it? They're going to say, "Mark, revoke it. Give us our money." Well, I can't revoke it because it's irrevocable. Okay, if it's irrevocable, then that means I got to put it on a trust tax return. 
And unless mm-hmm. I have a statutory allowance to put it on my own tax return, but not control it, which would be adapt, which could work again, mm-hmm. statutorily, yeah, but all these self-settled oh, trusts yeah. and all these grantor trusts and all this crap that's out there, the IRS is going to ask you, is it irrevocable or revocable? If it's irrevocable, now I've got to do a trust tax return. Trust tax rates come into play. Now I've got to file a separate tax return. And Which the are higher than personal rates, by the way. Yeah, and on top of your personal return. And now the promoters that sold you this crap, they're long gone or they don't do your tax return. They go, oh yeah, talk to your accountant. And so you got this huge cost coming down the pipeline at you. And you're like, what the freak? It's irrevocable, but I want to change it. Now I can't. Was it a gift? Was it an effective gift? Was it not? And that's where this defective term comes in because it came about because if it was an effective gift, meaning I effectively gifted it to my kids, but I get to use it. Well, then don't your kids own it? And Right? This is where the courts mm-hmm. start to tear these apart because you say, well, I gifted it to my kids. Okay, where well, is it on your kid's tax return? No. Was it in a trust tax return? No. So it's on your, tr- it's on your tax return. Doesn't that mean you really control it? And so you go down this crazy, you know, rabbit mm-hmm. hole of, you know, Alice in Wonderland and everything gets weird and you feel like you're, you know, having an acid trip in the 60s and you're like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Not that I know what that feels like. And so, and like, and so this is where it's crazy talk. And so I've had um, very, very heated conversations, mm-hmm. even in the last couple months with some f- physicians, some physician groups out in California that were hell bent to do this. And it was all I could do to talk them out of it because they kept saying, well, if I get to court, I can change the beneficiary and I can move it around and do it. Hold it. You think a judge is going to be okay with you changing things on the fly in back dark rooms in a cigar smoke filled room? You're going to change all this and a court's going to be okay with that? Would you be okay with that if someone ran over your kids? No, that's why they don't work. Yeah. Yeah. These, these uh, asset protection structures, when they, are in, when they are really used, all the facts are against you right? You usually have a judgment against you or you're facing a big liability. Something happened bad. And so you're the bad guy. So what you need is you need clear laws like ADAPT that says, hey, they set this up in advance. They protected their assets. They did good planning. The law protects them and a judge has no way around it. If you're outside the ADAPT, the the judge is going to try to blow through everything you put in his way. He he or she is going to blow through that that they are motivated to do that. That's justice and they're trying to, you know, so, and there's no legal protections in these trusts. So be careful. Um, the Delaware statutory trust also sometimes called business trust. Again, um, uh, is be very wary of it. We don't set them up. We don't recommend them. And I hope that that says enough in some of these reasons we've given. Now I'll give you one other horror story of a client. I helped with one. This client set one up. Someone set it up for them. They're a California resident. They had a bunch of rental properties in Arizona. Okay, buying the rental properties was easy because they just put them in the name of this trust and they called it the, you know, Jones Business Trust, whatever. And it's just the Jones Business Trust. And it wasn't their name. I'm just saying, you know, but Business Trust was in the name. And um, they go to sell the property. The title company says the county won't record a deed like this for us to sell. And they're like, why won't the county record it? So they tried it and they're like, just do it. Title company reject or the county rejected the deed of the transfer and said, You don't have a business trust in Arizona. 
And like, no, 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 this is a, a we're California residents. We set up a business trust. Like the county's like, California doesn't have business trust. And no, 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 it's just a business trust. They're allowed in certain states. And they're like, okay, uh, we're still not letting you transfer title because this isn't a, something that does not exist. And after having to redo all the documents, and I, they probably spent five to 10 grand in legal fees of our time going through various formalities and how we had to get this changed and fixed so they could actually transfer title 60 days later. And talk about the stress and anger these people had of the people that set up this harebrained idea for them. And the, the legal structure in Arizona was like, yeah, nice try. And that's just the, the county recorder's office. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I've, I've just never had a good experience with them. I've never had a client come to me and say, man, this really saved me, which I can say that for LLCs and corporations. I can say that in those asset protection scenarios. I can say that with the DAP and the one, just the one example I gave you on this show. Yeah. So um, that's just, we're just, you know, we're not believers. Yeah. Now, um, two side notes, Matt, the filing fee was $500 for a business trust in Delaware, uh, Delaware, the DST. Number two, Connecticut just passed their first DAP law, which became effective January 1st, 2020. And I believe nice. Texas is in the mix and I'm just trying to find the date it became effective. So I apologize for you Texans out there. And uh, you may say, well, just Google it. Well, I've been looking around here for a bit. <laughs> I just can't find the exact um, uh, date that it was uh, approved. Um, next, okay. Some of you are saying, all right, and I hope that many of you made it through this podcast thus far, and now you're saying, guys, thank you for ruining my day. You told me what doesn't work. What does work? Because I live in a state like California or Florida or other states where asset protection is so difficult because it's a creditor-friendly state. What do I do? That's our next show. We're going to tell you. What can I really do? Because you can imagine, I'm yeah. not trying to put you up, but that's why you want, I want you to listen to the show is because we will tell you what your options are. And this is why I wrote a book on it and I have mm -hmm. sections in my tax and legal playbook on this. And so Matt, is that fair to say? We're going to reserve like it for that. another show. Yeah. What's next? I love that. Yeah. I'm and so uh, there's things that work, but it's hard. One of the best strategies I did to protect me when I lived in California I moved to Idaho. Bam. <laughs> a lot of people would say, Mark, how can you be a self-respecting tax lawyer and live in California and pay 50% taxes on your margin, you know, yeah. your marginal rate once you get to a certain level? I'm like, uh, you're right. And I slapped yeah, myself. You had to own your crap and move. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah. And my wife is still mad at me. And she listens to the show and I love her. She loves California. <laughs> so she's like, <laughs> when can we move back? And I'm like, it's so hard. Asset protection, yeah. taxes. Let's visit. Let's visit. <sighs> Let's just visit. Let's just visit. So we got go. a plan. I got a plan. I right. keep my Idaho residency and play in California on occasion. Play the game. <clears throat> but anyway, um, asset protection does work. There are strategies that do work. Please, please, please. The moral of the story is, get a second or third opinion before you drop thousands of dollars on a unique asset protection trust with mm -hmm. promises that sound too good to be true. And the price tag is more than five grand. And you're there encourage you not to get a second opinion because we're the only ones that understand it. Bull crap. Yeah. Get out there. Do your research.
and talk yeah. to legitimate asset protection lawyers to find the, the, what does really work. And we'll be here. We're going to keep doing it. We have our open forum. Bring us yeah. a question in two or three weeks. We'll yeah. do our best. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for hanging in there. We thought this was an important topic. And like Mark said, we'll be back next week talking about asset protection and what does work. And there's a lot of strategies that a lot of things you can do to protect yourself and your assets and, and plan and do it in a smart and efficient way. So we'll hit that next week. Thanks for listening. See you then. Thanks for listening to another hour of refreshing strategies to better live your American dream. Don't forget to get your free copy of Mark and Matt's eBooks and sign up for their weekly free newsletter with important tax deadlines and articles at refreshyourwealth.com. 